Hello, welcome to the Pod People, Milwaukee's most metal show where we like loud music and we hate skateboard parks in our backyard. And we're here to talk about our favorite director, Robert Zombert. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm joined by those other rad dudes, Ben Sheets. Hi. And Eugene Lundeen. Howdy there, folks. Hope you enjoy your complimentary fried chicken for tonight. <laughs> we sent him in the mail, so whoever's listening oh, better be munching on down. Now, are you trying to tell me that y'all gonna fuck those chickens? <laughs> Well, we're back with another full-length episode, and in case you didn't guess it, we're doing another director retrospective, where we're talking about Rob Zombie. We've already shared some of our thoughts on this uh, eccentric musician and filmmaker. This uh, dirty man. This, this dirty, dirty street hippie in our Halloween episode, but now we're coming at you with reviews of three of his other more well-known films. We don't have any news this week because there's nothing exciting in the news and we're not going to bore you with nonsense, so we're just going to jump right on in. And we're going to start with Rob Zombie's directorial debut, House of a Thousand Corpses. So I had never seen this movie before we watched it, and I had only heard bad things, like exclusively bad things, so I was expecting a very unpleasant viewing experience, but I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, on past few episodes I've been talking shit about this movie. It came up and surprised me. I think the last time I saw it was probably in high school. Some of the things that didn't work as well for me back then work a little better now. There's still some big problems with it that I still have. I wouldn't put anybody under the illusion that this is a good film. I think this is an enjoyable film to see in a group, especially. I mean, prior to this, I had only seen Rob Zombie's Halloween remake and the sequel, which are both very dark, morbid, depressing drags. I was very surprised at how campy and over-the-top and, like, 70s exploitation this movie was. I was laughing for a good majority of it, and that was a very, very pleasant surprise to me because I expected to just be like, fuck, end my life at this point, you know? It almost has, like, a 60s exploitation vibe to it where it, it almost feels like a Roger Corman movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, It doesn't take itself too seriously. They do some of the scenes, you know, type of same tropes as, you know, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, for example, with the dinner scene. So it's a weird blend of, you know, these 70s influences, and you see even more of in Devil's Reject. We'll get to that. But that mixed with... Uh, kind of 60s camp like yeah yeah well, we should we should explain a little bit of what the the plot is in this movie it revolves around these four 20 somethings this also takes place in the 70s yes i remember 77 uh, 77 correct yes. and these all these youngsters are going around the country and i guess they're writing a book on like roadside attractions just all the yeah. weird pit stops that you could find and they come across this uh man captain spaulding played by sid haig everybody's favorite bug-eyed, horse-toothed, crazy person. 
Yeah. Sid Haig single-handedly convincing me that clowns aren't actually that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that he uh, he is in clown makeup pretty much through the entire movie. He takes pretty. a much smaller role in this film than I expected because I I had never seen Devil's Rejects either, and of course we'll get into that. But I know that he's like one of the central characters of Devil's Rejects. I had always known that, and I was expecting him to play that same kind of role in this one but really he's his like big part in house of a thousand corpses is just in like the opening setup he's yeah in, he, he's in a relatively small amount of this movie his uh, main role in this movie is uh he runs this haunted house ride sort of thing yeah the like tour of murder which like okay. a like a like a Ripley's Believe It or Not kind of like little tiny shop that also has a, a haunted house ride in it and sells right. wings yeah. <laughs> and chicken wings. They even say on the sign that advertises gasoline and chicken wings. Yeah, so right. it's like yeah. a gas station, roadside attraction, haunted house, chicken joint. So the um, yeah, these four guys, uh, which I. I don't remember their names. I just know that the main two guys are played by Rain Wilson and Chris Hardwick, looking a healthy chubby man. Yeah, Chris yeah. Hardwick used to be kind of chunky. Yeah, I mean, this was filmed in 1999, but didn't get its release until 2003. It got kind of bogged down. But uh, I was surprised in the opening credits to see how many names I recognized. Yeah. Like, I knew to expect Sid Haig and Sherry Moon Zombie, but also Rain Wilson, yeah. Chris Hardwick. pre-office Rain Wilson. Pre-office Rain Wilson, uh, fucking Walton, a young Walton Goggins. Yeah. I, yeah. I was surprised to see all of these names that I recognized. Man, this movie is just so over the top. Like, everybody's <laughs> acting is just garbage. Yes, well, Sid Haig in this haunted house tour, the final person that they've because it's like all about these murderers from history, like yeah, serial killers and, like Albert Fish and uh, Ed Gein and and, and Ed Gein and. And, and the then, final one is uh, is is what sets off this whole movie is. Uh, a guy called Dr. Satan. <laughs> yeah, a crazy person who was trying to use medical science to turn mentally handicapped people into super soldiers. <laughs> the kind of film that could not be made in 2018, everybody. Yes. Yeah, and he, well, I forgot exactly how he was Suppo murdered. He was supposedly hung by a right. lynch mob yes. Yes. Uh, close by to this shop. But so, his body disappeared yeah. from the graveyard. So Sid Haig sends this group of youngsters on sort of a wild goose chase to go find the tree where he was hung. And that sort of sets off the whole thing where they end up being kidnapped by a... Uh, a sadistic Manson family style group, also very reminiscent of Texas Chainsaw, like you mentioned, Ben. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious, based on this movie and Devil's Rejects, that Rob Zombie is a big fan of Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It feels like a homage, but at the same time, he's doing much different things with it. Yes. And I think in terms of scares, it's nowhere near as effective. Oh, no. Well, I means. mean, Texas Chainsaw is but, a legitimate masterpiece yeah. of a film as far as I'm concerned. Like, very serious, dark, scary, gruesome. This film is comparable only in premise, I think. It... It does the same kind of thing where it sets up this crazy murder cannibal family who have a house full of, like, weird macabre 
decorations, but it just sends it like up into the stratosphere of camp. Yeah. I love how it sets it all up with the very opening scene before we're even introduced to the youngsters where a couple of thugs try to rob Captain Spaulding's whatever it's called and Sid Haig just fucking blows their brains out. I have to say, Sid Haig isn't in much of this movie, but he he, he steals the show it. in every scene he's in. Well, I mean, that's just the thing about Sid Haig. Like, he's so fucking good, and he pulls off that over-the-top, like, pun, pun intended, clowny redneck. He just does that shit so well that it's like... Even the fact that his dialogue is hot garbage because Rob Zombie cannot write dialogue to save his life, it works with Sid Haig. Yeah, well, and in both of these movies, he hits kind of a perfect balance of funny, but at the same time, kind of intimidating. Oh, he's a, yeah, he gives like, you the idea of he's just a total crazy person. He will kill you at a moment's notice. Yeah. I love Sid Haig, and he fucking carries basically every movie that he's in, as far as I'm concerned. A big source of the camp in this movie comes from... The editing? Yes, that's uh, a big deal. The editing of this movie is uh, buck wild. Like, they use copious amounts of colors and inverted color transitions. And Well, like, yeah, that's that's really the, the big thing. Probably maybe every, like, five or ten minutes in this movie. At least. Uh, there will be a short five to ten second clip of uh, members of the family just spouting nonsense which well, apparently like, was all shot in rob zombie's basement well that's um, some of it but there's a lot of like i would describe them as uh scooby-doo style scene changes where there's like these weird super brief little transitions of some kind of imagery that's not that related to anything that's going on you know like just like they do in scooby-doo where it's like you know, and they and they change between the scenes and uh, uh, or when we were watching this movie, both of you guys described the editing as obnoxious. I want to get into that a little bit because I do think that obnoxious is a good word. But for me, it worked really well considering See, the camp of the movie. I think the, tedious it, is it really... worked, but the problem is. There was way too much of it. The movie isn't long as is. It's under an hour and a half. It's like 88 minutes. But I would say a solid 20 to 30% of this movie is, is those, those interludes. Cuts. So, like, that's a little too much. I, I Like, it really didn't bother me. Like, I think this film, in terms of plot, is so inconsistent as it is that it feels to me like a haunted house like you stand in line for a while which is the build-up and then you go into the house and every room is totally different and clashes completely there's no transition between one or the other but if you're in the right mood it's still super fun and you come out of the whole experience just kind of like giggling because of how ridiculous and silly it is and that is what this movie feels like to me in a nutshell it's like going through a haunted house at halloween time i i, I like that analogy and i think it works for the movie but i don't 
feel like it works for me for the transitions. The transitions for me f- almost feel more like Rob Zombie's doodles in between <laughs> okay. in between uh, scenes. And, you know, that may add to the aesthetic. You could argue that. But, like, at the same time, it doesn't make the movie any more focused. And I, oh, fe- no. I feel like the biggest problem with the movie is it's not very focused. It's incredible. It's well, super scattershot, which works for the haunted house feel. I'll give you that. It works well for that, but as a whole, it kind of takes away from the movie. Well, I feel like if you're going into this expecting narrative focus in general, you're going to have a real bad time because you're absolutely right. Like, it is the farthest thing from focused. Like, it's changing what it's doing every, like, ten minutes or so, you know? But what I like about it is that it establishes a precedent for that early on. It's different for every person. But for me, it didn't get frustrating because it's like, okay, I'm fucking strapped into this bullshit crazy ride and I'm just gonna ride it out until the end and get whatever enjoyment out of it I can. If I was going into this looking for, like, a solid, well-written serious like horror film i think i would be infuriated well you can have like well written and serious aren't like they aren't really the same thing it can still have a a cohesion with all of it and still be balls to the wall i think the biggest problem is there's that setup that these i mean i don't want to say teenagers because they're like they're 20 no they're 20 they're 20 somethings yeah for sure and they get uh, abducted by this family, these, these crazy-looking people. The with, Firefly family. Yes, the Firefly family. <laughs> Once it gets to that point, there's really nothing else to add tension or to move ahead the story. It's just them stuck in this house getting tormented. That's That's another thing, you know, like, it feels like... You know, a haunted house ride, but the thing about haunted house rides is sometimes they take you by surprise. I don't feel like I was ever really that surprised. Uh, I would, I would agree with you up until like the last 20 ish minutes. It gets buck wild. It, well, yeah, at it the goes. End. It goes in a totally different direction than you're expecting. I just would straight up not classify this movie as torture porn, but I would consider it like proto torture porn, minus all of the gore and stuff. Where like a good chunk of the movie is just these poor hapless adults being tormented by these psychos. The the reason it's saved for me is the the lack of self seriousness. Like yes. I think I think the fact that it it's kinda of pretty self aware and it's very campy lets me give it a pass for how kind of almost nihilistic it is in that like you have the setup, you know how it's gonna end. More so than like other movies of the same ilk, like he he hits those same notes right on the money. And I think the reason it works is it's so campy that it feels like homage to like like your Roger Corman blood yes. freak type well, of horror movies. That's that's the thing. Like the whole time I was watching this movie, all I was thinking was homage. Like this is 
obviously somebody who grew up watching really campy, over-the-top exploitation horror films of the late 60s and early 70s from a from a very young age, obviously. And, like, that's Rob Zombie. Like, the dude is basically the human embodiment of Halloween, you know? <laughs> like, the dude, the dude is a fucking living haunted house. And you even get that in his music, which, uh, I mean, I love Rob Zombie's music i like white zombie and i even like his solo stuff it's just so over the top and ridiculous you get the same kind of feel from house of a thousand corpses that you get from his music which i think might turn some people off and maybe is why people put so much hate on this movie because they might not know rob zombie's music and like the origin of his career and they're like oh i watched halloween and so i wanted to check out early rob zombie and then they watch house of a thousand corpses which is like a totally different beast you know well, that's a problem too. anyone that watched halloween thought that was a good movie <laughs> and then right well it's trying it's, to watch something else like that it's not but it it is the kind of movie that appeals to the general american horror audience i think you know like not particularly smart but just dark and gritty and slashery with a lot of gore it's like that gets a lot of people off and they're not looking for much more and it's not a great movie but when you try to compare it to like this is his early work it's really like a total far cry you know they're two totally completely different things and this has much more of the self-awareness and that sort of exploitation-y halloween-y campiness like this is a dude who grew up watching fucking vincent price movies and tv shows and shit you know like that's very obvious from this movie it definitely feels like two ends of a spectrum so on one side you have complete camp which i think this movie is very close to and on the other side you have complete self-seriousness which is probably lords of salem which we'll get into and i think his his style works best when it's somewhere near the middle um i think devil's rejects probably gets to that stuff the best in my opinion where like yeah it's camp but like it doesn't feel like the characters are in on the joke as much well another interesting thing at least about the production of this movie is that like the the firefly family house where they shoot most of it is the same house that that is used in the best little whorehouse in texas which is something that, like, if you go to Universal Studios in California and you take the tram ride, which goes through all the back lots and stuff, like, that's a house that you pass along the way. The funny thing is, is while they were filming this, Universal refused to stop the tram tours so they could only shoot this in the house around the tours oh my god so 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 if they were shooting during the day at all they would have to keep cutting and just stopping production completely for a fucking tour to go by and then they would get back to doing it but at the same time the the fact that they shot this on the fucking universal studios back lot just sort of adds to that campiness i think that uh makes it so entertaining where it really becomes a problem for me well there's a couple of parts where it really becomes a problem for me but like the beginning setup is fantastic 
And then there's a huge chunk of rather boring downtime. Yeah, I think the first 15 minutes are probably maybe some of the best in the movie. I Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, the end is pretty good, too, but I, that fucking Captain Spaulding well, yeah, opening Sid, is Sid Haig, amazing. Sid Haig carries the first bit of the movie, well, for sure. Well, the big problem is once the, the kids get abducted, there's a s- subplot of... Uh, one of the girl's fathers trying to find them. And oh, it's yeah. just really uninteresting. Like, it, they show that one of the cops, played by Walton Goggins, uh, talking to Captain Spaulding, sort of trying to figure out what happened, but it's really just not interesting. And when it finally reaches its resolution, it's like, oh, I I didn't really care otherwise, and I sort of knew this is what this Well, is yeah, what was because, because they talk to Captain Spaulding, then they find a car out in the boonies with a corpse in the trunk, then they go right to the Firefly house, and then they just get killed immediately like it's kind of pointless it feels like that subplot was totally added just to pad out the running time which is funny because it's already padded out so much by those transitions yeah (laughs) makes me think about like how short this movie would be without all that shit probably like 30 to 40 minutes Well, I think before we get into the ending stuff, which is important to talk about because it takes a hard left turn, I think we should take uh, a few minutes to to go over some of the, the characters in this movie because they're pretty central and especially transitioning into The Devil's Rejects. Uh, aside from Sid Haig's clownish Captain Spaulding. Yeah, so you have a whole family. You have a cast of characters. You have a Cherry Moon zombie. Her character's, yeah, her character's name is Baby, which is kind of weird, but she does have this uh, weird childlike babyishness, which is juxtaposed with, like... Her sex appeal, which is kind of bizarre and She's very and horny creepy. for Ryan Wilson. Yeah, yeah. She wants to smash Rain Wilson, definitely. But, like, she talks in this really high-pitched, babyish voice with a very thick Texas accent. I mean, of course, you quickly realize that she's a sadist just as much as the rest. But you've got her. You've got Bill Mosley as her older brother, who in this film is an albino, but is not in The Devil's Rejects. No, he's just very pale-skinned. And oh, well, but we'll, we'll get into that. But he seems to sort of be the mastermind behind all of this uh, torture stuff. Like, after he kills Rain Wilson, he turns him into, like, a mermaid tableau. Yeah. Where you're like, I, so... I found really funny. <laughs> was pretty funny too he's like sews him to a big old fish that's a a a pretty a pretty funny scene you've got the 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 mother character played by karen black in Uh, the first one yes she doesn't she doesn't return in devil's rejects legendary actress was in like five easy pieces and a bunch of other great movies from the 70s she she does a really good job in this too. She I mean everybody's hamming it up. Like nobody is taking this particularly seriously. You've got the the fucking grandpa. That's there's that weird scene after they invite the kids to dinner where they do that like talent show 
where Sherry Moon Zombie lip syncs and the 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 grandpa does like a stand up comedy set where he basically just screams oh, for yeah. most of it. I forgot about that. And like all the, the kids they're they're in love with it. <laughs> like Chris Harvey's uh, yeah. going like wow He's losing <laughs> like, his shit. He was like, Oh, this is great. Are you, are you seeing Sherry Moon's lip syncing? And then you've got like uh you've got the tiny character who's like a, a giant deformed guy who they they say was burned in a fire set by their father, which is not established as Sid Haig in this movie, but that's another thing they retcon in Devil's Rejects. Well, no, they do mention it towards the end. Well, there's the one, there's the one other guy who they call Rufus Jr., as in named after the father, but the father is, turns out to be Sid Haig, which is Captain Spaulding. You know, they they all sort of have these assumed identities, but it's never really explicitly stated. They kind of make it seem like the father in the first one is no longer around because he went crazy and set the house on fire and Tiny got burned or whatever. But, I mean, that's not even that important. I I love the scene in the middle where, uh, like, uh, I think it's it's either Rain Wilson or Chris Hardwick's girlfriend is, like, chained to the bed in the basement and Tiny comes down and he's eating cereal, really gross-looking cereal out of a dog bowl, and she's just like, let me go, and he just like... He just unties her, and she like gets up and starts to walk out, and he just kind of waves at her, and then as she's on her way up the stairs, Bill Mosley comes down and recaptures her. I thought that scene was really funny. Uh, you know what the the production design of this movie kind of reminded me of oddly was uh, Mother's Day. A lot of yeah, the, a, a little bit. The, the, this kind of like uh, inconsistently mishmashed house. Yeah, just like a bunch of like crazy dumb shit thrown at the walls. Well, I covered. mean, I mean to to return to my previous analogy, the the house does feel like a literal haunted house, though. Yeah, especially near the end once. Uh, Things really start to kick up. A yeah, lot of, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into that. Spoilers territory. I, uh, spoilers, spoilers for a yeah. fucking eighteen-year-old yeah. movie. You know, the father and the cops they they fail in trying to retrieve the kids. And they get murdered. That very weird, very long, super unnecessarily long slow mo shot. Where Walton Goggins is just on his knees while Bill Mosley points a gun in his face and they just zoom out for like 45 seconds to a minute before he actually shoots him. I was worried that like... That was weird. The movie froze or something, but no, it... uh just wanted to take that long. Uh, That was was a weirdly long shot. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, the surviving... Uh, surviving kids, because at this point, Rain Wilson has been, he's been, like, turned into some weird, like, uh, taxidermy sort of thing. Mermaid. Yeah, yeah. mermaid. Merman. Excuse me. <laughs> I uh, wouldn't try to assume anybody's gender. 
Oh God, I forgot because I know it's it's Chris Hardwick and his girlfriend left at the end, but I forget what happened to the other. Didn't was that the scene where uh, Sherry Moon Zombie had the chainsaw and was dancing around a brick house? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, in all the weird transitions that were apparently filmed afterwards in Rob Zombie's basement on yeah. sixteen millimeter that showed like the torture scenes, and there's just the one where uh, I think that's just when Chris Hardwick. Hardwick is getting tortured Oh, yeah, you're to right. Death. That's Chris Hardwick. And Sherry Moon Zombies just dancing to Brick House, and they yeah. keep cutting back oh, yeah, to that. Right. That, was, that was really funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm having trouble remembering what happened to that other girl. because I know she was. Matter. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm just fucking blanking well, on it. Well, she does. Oh, wait, yeah, uh, she, she, is, she runs away. Into she the. Into that graveyard. graveyard and Sherry Moon yeah. Zombie, yeah, stabs the, stabs the shit out oh, of her. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, well that's after she discovers Dr. Satan. No, that's no, 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 that's before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they, the point is, is that they, they set up this whole sacrifice thing where they, uh, put these folks into a coffin and lower them into this big hole in the ground while playing a a slowed down recording of a poem by Aleister Crowley. Then when they're in the coffin, they get attacked by what I assume is supposed to be Dr. Satan's superhuman monsters, which are basically just mud zombies. Yes, right. They just, uh, they emerge from the, the muck that the coffin is hanging over. Also, Chris Hardwick and his girlfriend are dressed up in, like, bunny. <laughs> the bunny yeah. costumes. Yeah. Yeah. Which I never quite figured out yeah. why they're dressed as bunnies. Well, because, like, they make weird allusions to, like, rabbits and stuff. Like, yeah, chasing your little rabbit. But it's not, like, it's, you can't just put that in there and, like, yeah, we're going to accept it. Like, you gotta earn it. And it's just it's it doesn't really make any silly. sense. But they're they're dressed up as Easter bunnies, and Chris Hardwick's girlfriend escapes into these tunnels and finds this weird, which we don't see how because the coffin is like hanging above all this muck. Uh, Chris Hardwick gets pulled down into it, and she's left on there. And then it just cuts away, and she's walking down these halls. I mean, is- you kind of see one of the muck zombies peering out from like a hole in the wall. So I guess it's supposed to be assumed that she crawled into that hole, but we don't see it. I, gu- I guess, right? Yeah, that she. I mean, that's she did that's some swing Indiana Jones stuff and swung. That's over the to that's the way my brain tried to rationalize it. But she finds this like enormous underground torture mansion well after um actually i don't remember is this before or after she goes down that hallway which is i guess where the thousand corpses uh oh yeah just a bunch of skeletons which is like that's that's literally something you'd see in a haunted and after a random homeless guy shows up and rips her bunny costume off oh yeah Yeah, that's right just some dude just uh, rips it off and then just walks away And it's not Dr. Satan, it's not anyone no. else in the family. Yeah. Well, she she does, in the torture mansion, find Dr. Satan, who is, he looks absolutely like a guy that you would find in a haunted house. Yeah, he looks like a Dr. Satan. <laughs> he looks he looks just about what you would expect Dr. Satan to look like. Oh yeah, and he's he's poking around in Chris Hardwick's brain, you know. Just, yeah, yeah, just, d- just digging <laughs> his fists in there. <laughs> and it's all super red lit and uh, spooky, like that. 
that part felt the most like a haunted house to me. <laughs> it's like you walk in, you're like, oh, this is so scary. I'm just going to walk out this door and go into the next room. And she gets chased by that dude in the gas mask who has the big axe. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right. And uh, then she crushes him because he has bad double vision and swings his, <laughs> swings his axe into support on the tunnel. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say on that whole sequence other than it's very campy and stupid. Well, yeah, that can feels... describe a lot of the movie just campy well, yeah. and stupid. But this feels like the 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 most inconsistent part from the rest of the movie where it goes from just like crazy Manson murder family to like underground mud zombies, which uh, does not quite fit in. But then she manages to escape and runs into Sid Haig driving down the road. <laughs> and he picks her up in his fucking Corvette and he's driving down the road like, oh, yeah, we'll get you to a hospital. And then Bill Mosley sits up in the backseat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's no way when she was getting into the car, she would not have noticed no, Bill yeah, Mosley yeah. laying and down in the, up in the bag. <laughs> Like she, had, she 100% would have seen him back there. And what's great too is like the camera keeps doing these like sudden zoom ins to Bill Mosley's face. Oh yeah, that's real 70s. The the pu- the rapid punch ins right, that like, are all he moves over up, the movie. Zoom in. He turns his head. And zoom, zoom in. in. And then he has a knife and he's about to stab and then it goes again into just like that super like overload of visuals like and it looks like I guess she's tied up like she's been captured again by the family and Dr. Satan's like poking around and stuff. It's all in close ups just like really loud. Um, Right. And then it just ends. And it just ends. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's like, okay, the the payoff at the end is that uh, Sid Haig is part of the family, Captain Spall. I mean, maybe that was a surprise when the movie first came out, but in in hindsight, like, of course, everybody knows that Captain Spaulding is a part of this crazy murder family. It feels like, I mean, especially with Halloween and certainly with all the other movies we watched, I mean, Rob Zombie might not really know how to end movies. Oh, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll for sure be getting yeah. into that because Rob Zombie absolutely does not know how to end movies. But let's go ahead and rate this before we transition into yeah, The Devil's sure. Rejects. Uh, Eugene, do you want to start? Yeah, we'll so around. as we've mentioned countless times, and as you may tell by how how we brushed off a lot of explaining the plot of this movie. There's no real plot. There's no real plot, and to talk about it would be really boring. And so we just sort of wanted to get across this idea that, well, it's meant to be this like macabre, I think, is the right word for this sort of thing and what Rob Zombie seems to do. Just like very goofy... Rob Zombie absolutely jerks off to skeletons. Yeah. (laughs) He just seems to have a a real fascination for all like this. It's it has a levity to the whole thing because Rob Zombie knows that like you as as you said countless times, like a haunted house ride. I mean, it's meant to scare you and also make you laugh at the same time. Because every haunted house, it's it's usually very goofy. It's your (laughs) <laughs> it's usually your uncle or something hiding out in a corner waiting to pop out with a mask on. So Yeah, a dude runs at you with a chainsaw without a chain on it. And <laughs> right. you're, oh, it scared me for a second, but ha ha ha, wasn't that so much fun? And while like the the dialogue and all this is just really dumb and the story goes nowhere, 
for what it tries to go out and accomplish, I think that for the most part, it's pretty successful. It landed on one and a half of its feet. So <laughs> sure for that, for anyone that is looking for, I'd say something along the lines of like thanks killing, where it's just gonna it, you're you're watching it knowing that it's not going for anything greater than entertaining for a short amount of time. So I'm gonna give it a two and a half for that. Uh, I don't think I can go too much higher because it's still just like it's it's a bad movie, but definitely one still worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, I'll I will agree that it's not a good movie by any means, but the amount of enjoyment that I got out of watching it was such a pleasant surprise to me. It's it's super inconsistent, super dumb, super campy, but very self-aware at the same time. I mean, to say the same thing a million times, it's like a fun haunted house ride where it's not really scary, but you appreciate the effort that they put into it and you get a good couple of laughs and you come out of it feeling like you just had a good fun time. The editing doesn't bother me too much because it's so just like 60s, 70s uh, exploitation campiness, just absolute ridiculous bullshit. And uh, it was really fun for me because of my enjoyment. I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five. Um, well, I have changed my opinion on this movie a little bit. Uh, when I first saw this, I was kind of expecting a scary movie. I hadn't really seen anything by Rob Zombie beforehand, and I was very underwhelmed with uh, that. But this time I knew what I was getting into. I knew it wasn't the scariest. It's mostly kind of just entertaining and funny. Um, there's still not really a ton of tension, but that's not what you come into this movie for. You're coming to be entertained. You're coming for that over-the-top camp. Uh, I would definitely recommend seeing this movie with friends. Uh, seeing it alone might not work as well, but having the crowd of people reacting to it definitely helps. I still have some problems with uh, the editing, especially like the doodles make it feel a little uh, unfocused, and they happen a little too often for my taste. But overall, I would give this a 3 out of 5. I think it's worth watching. Not a perfect movie by any means, but by no means a terrible movie. All right, well, that gives House of a Thousand Corpses an average rating of 3 out of 5 pods. Stupid fun is the way I would describe this movie, and if you're into stupid fun, definitely worth checking out. All right, so now we're going to jump into Rob Zombie's uh, sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses, the 2005 film Devil's Rejects. I would say sequel is an extremely loose term to describe this film. I think soft reboot is a much more accurate term. The way I see it, it's kind of like the Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 sort of situation. Yeah, 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 that's a great example. It's... Like, Evil Dead 2 references the first movie, but it changes a lot of stuff where it's, like, this is 
basically a new movie. It's 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 Sam Raimi having a new budget and wanting to tell the same so- story, and I think that's sort of what happened with Rob Zombie as well. I mean, movie. sort of. They they try to make it a continuation of House of a Thousand Corpses, i.e., just having the cops show up at the Firefly house at the beginning and have a, a an armed standoff. All the characters are practically the same. The the biggest difference is Bill Mosley's character. I mean, Sid Haig's character is the same, but I would say that Bill Mosley's and Sherry Moon Zombie's character are quite a bit different from their House of I just of think Sherry Moon is, is more defined. I think that she Oh, for sure, she but she's more. she's also, well, I mean, first of all, her Texas accent is completely gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also she seems to be more calculating and more cold yeah. and less uh, less sort of uh, childish and over the top like she is in House of a Thousand Corpses. And Bill Mosley has inexplicably grown a, a glorious beard. Yeah, and regular skin. And regular skin. <laughs> He's no longer an albino. So, I mean, this is basically uh, Sid Haig, Sherry Moon Zombie, and Bill Mosley on the run from the police for their uh, years and years of murder. Yeah, and that's pretty much the story as it is because, I mean, um, they run into like a singing group at some point and they also, they, they meet up with Captain Spaulding's uh, brother, but a lot of it is just them Yeah, I mean, it's very and- simple. It's just them on the run and uh, one of the cops who was killed in the first movie, it's about his brother played by William Forsythe who is uh, trying to seek revenge by any means necessary and going (laughs) well, well, well outside the confines of the law. Well, and, you know, that's the thing. In House of a Thousand Corpses, the weakest element was the subplot about the cops, mainly, and the dad. But in this movie, I think the subplots are the strongest part. Well, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even call the cops the subplot of this. Like, this is, uh, this is very much like, uh, like a hunt with William Forsyth trying to track down these people who killed his brother and wreak as terrible of a vengeance as he can. But I think the most important distinction between these two movies is the tone. Because House of a Thousand Corpses is super campy and over the top and Devil's Rejects is much grittier and much more serious. It still has uh, several moments of comedic relief, some very, very, very funny moments. But this feels much more like a late 70s grindhouse film. I would say it's it's pretty campy in a different way than uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, where it feels like it, Everyone is kind of in on the joke in House of a Thousand Corpses. It feels like the jokes are happening in this movie, but none of the characters are aware of that. Well, I would say the campiness in Devil's Rejects confines itself to certain scenes. No, I would I say certain characters and, more. Uh, yeah. I mean, but there's there's moments where the more serious characters cross into the realm of campiness. Oh uh, yeah, that's that. No, I, it's it's yeah. it's it's really. I would really more consider it more a scene by scene basis, where like certain scenes are very dark and serious, and then 
certain scenes are just off the wall ridiculous. Yeah, that's there, sort of the, the formula: a funny scene and then get super intense. And, well, there uh, there are a couple of scenes that. in general, such as when the the police realize that all of the characters uh, from the Firefly family have the names of uh, of characters from Mar- Marx Brothers oh movies. They God, learn this by yes. getting a film professor in. <laughs> Uh, they bring in a film professor who has a fucking Marx Brothers mustache. Right, he looks like Groucho he lo- Marx. He looks like Groucho Marx. <laughs> and he, oh, he talks like a maniac, too. And he's so fucking specific, and he's just, like, quoting and citing specific movies. My and- favorite part is uh, near the end of the scene... One of the cops is like, we should try and talk to this Groucho character. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the film professor, you know, is a little uh, peeved about this because obviously Groucho is dead. But he died like three days before or after, within three days of when Elvis died. Yeah. Film critic is like, yeah, no one remembered it because that damn talentless uh, yeah. <laughs> Elvis died at the same time. And all the cops just... William, William Forsyth is like, is like, don't you dare say another bad word about the king. Yeah, no, he's like, he's like the fuck you say about the king. Now it's it. The fuck you say about the king? You get on out of here before I I fucking put my boot in your ass. And the whole, like, they bring him, yeah, as you mentioned, because all of the, the members of the Firefly family had Groucho Marx names, but it really, like, is feels so out of place with, like, well, it like doesn't, it's taking the time to show this film critic, and it's great, too, when they well, like, it's discover like, that, because they they say, we have to get a film critic <laughs> to try and solve right. But it doesn't provide them any actual, uh, like information on the case it's more like an excuse to like look at rob zombie's writing process and acknowledge that he named these characters after marx brothers characters which is totally unnecessary but the scene is so fucking funny yeah it really is it's hilarious and we thought that would be the funniest scene in the movie (laughs) (laughs) well before we get into the actual funniest scene i just want to take a second to mention the scene where uh sid haig hijacks the car in the clown makeup and there's like a like a like an eight-year-old boy in the driver's seat he's like do you like clowns (laughs) and the boy's like shaking his head well you and your mother better make sure that you make yourself clowns by the time i get back or i'm gonna kill you (laughs) still so like when this movie does try and get like horror serious it's for the most part pretty effective with setting that tone so i mean it's nice to know like they can they still go gonzo like like we mentioned in house of a thousand corpses like sid haig is as over the top as he is is still extremely intimidating (laughs) yes oh yes and i'm i'm very glad that he's a more central part of this movie than house of a thousand corpses because he's a damn good actor i think that because sherry moon zombie i 
I, I don't find really compelling. I feel like she's I, she's lucky to be married to Rob Zombie. <laughs> I think I think she's much better in this movie than House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, again, that's a that's a low low bar to to move up from. And also Bill Mosley. I I mean, like he's he he's a very convincing crazy man, but I don't find him well. Very... Like that's that's what he's based his career off of. Like if you look at his IMDb page, he has exclusively been in B horror movies. Well, and hey, if you find five, that you're- five of which have the word devil in their title, <laughs> including the devil's rejects, five of the films that he's been in have devil in the title. So I right. mean, that tells you what you need to know about Bill Mosley. I think Bill Mosley does a great job. Well, but he, does think- what he does what we need out of his character. But I think without Sid Haig there this movie would have been significantly less entertaining. Sure. So, like, Bill Mosley, Bill Mosley and Sherry Moon Zombie do a good job they of... They do great on the in the horror side of, like, what this movie's trying right. to do. They, Sid Haig is the co- comic relief. They, But also the scary part. Like, Sid Haig, <laughs> is, even though he has the most comedic moments in this movie, I would still say he's the scariest character. Well, it's, like, scary funny. I mean, that he can well, be yeah, but it's like, it's, it's him screaming his mouth, talking about, yeah, bear. Paint yourself like clowns. Right. Well, the the shit that he's saying is absolute schlock bullshit. But Uh, he delivers it with conviction. Well, that's the thing. The way he delivers it is like, oh shit! Like this guy is fucking serious. Yeah. Yeah. No. Like that's that's the thing that that's the thing that Sid Haig's got, and it's I I don't know if it's part of his fucking bug eyedness, but he just (laughs) like seeing old photos of Sid Haig. I wonder. Totally different. Right. He like. He's a very dashing man in those. Like the only, honestly, the only thing that makes him recognizable in old photos of Sid Haig is the acne scars. Yeah. It's the acne <laughs> scars. Yeah, that's all it is. And it's just like at some point, like the '80s must have had a lot of cheeseburgers, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, he gained he gained some weight for sure. But I think still a great, still a great. I would I would say I would say in this movie in particular, the three of them work really well together. They definitely they, give a much more cohesive performance. They they have the they they have a great cohesion to the three of them as like the family characters where it's like the dynamic between them works and they're all obviously batshit crazy. My problem is that midway through the movie it seems like Rob Zombie is trying to start making them like anti-heroes, well, like I- sympathetic characters i don't know if it really leans all the way towards sympathetic but more i'd say f- it does by the end more more fucked up shit begins to happen to them and so you see like more of their vulnerable sides well, I- what they what they really do is they they start to showcase the craziness of william forsyth as the sheriff and that he's literally willing to do whatever the fuck he can yeah he'll catch hire these any film critic well, that- <laughs> well he hires the film critic but he also also hires a couple of hitmen oh, played yes. by uh, yes. Danny Trejo and, and DDP the, and the glorious Diamond Dallas Page <laughs> to hunt down these people. But then he also like at the shootout at the beginning they capture. Uh, Mother Firefly, who's played by a different actress in this one. I can't remember her name. And then, like, midway through the movie, he murders the shit out of her in the jail cell, where he just stabs the shit out of her with a big ol' knife. And it's, like, at that point where you're, like, well, he's gone beyond the, the confines of the law, and he's acting solely on revenge. And it's at that point where... 
his brutality starts to sort of play as a foil to the Fireflies, and that's sort of the point where it seems like Rob Zombie is trying to make William Forsythe the villain, and the Fireflies as, like, the heroes, which is weird because they're crazy murderers. Yeah, well, I don't I don't think that they they ever really do much to try and, like, actually justify anything they've done. So, in that way, yeah, they're... They're they're finally up against someone who's willing to just get as like batshit insane and and evil as them. Someone who's but, as sadistic as they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah sadistic. Truly. But I don't think that that it, it ever really excuses uh, what they did in the movie. I will say some of the imagery near the end shows them like in a very happy family sort of right. Light, well, which, we, which feels odd. We won't talk about the ending quite yet. We'll revisit this when we get to that yeah. point. I yeah. want to talk about, uh, before we talk about the funniest scene in the movie, which I do want to get into, let's talk about Ken Forey. Oh, who yes. is a, a, a I guess I I suppose a frequent Rob Zombie collaborator at this point. The, <laughs> right, the, the great in... the great Ken Forey of Dawn of the Dead fame, Ooh, and also Keenan and Kel fame. Which apparently I, I did of... not want. No, yeah. I didn't watch. He, I mean, Keenan he's like he's credited in over sixty episodes. So, wow. Yeah, he he wow. was yeah he was like their their teacher or something in school. I guess that was his shit during the nineties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Kel. Uh, Which hey, I like I I I love him in Dawn of the Dead, and I'm happy. Oh, that he's he can fantastic! Still he's a great actor. Like, no, I love Ken Forey. Yeah, let him get that Nickelodeon money. Come on! <laughs> it's uh, in this movie he plays Sid Haig's brother, which which stretch. is which is a stretch <laughs> yeah. because I mean Sid Haig is white and Ken Forey is black. And that's well, never. I think that Sid Haig is is black. He's just like light skin. Yeah, like very super light skin. Light skin. Uh, excuse yeah. me, I never would have guessed that. <laughs> that is that is genuinely news to me. Right. Uh, well, yeah, they certainly they, considering they don't that look in this, Considering that in this movie, his children are Bill Mosley and Sherry Moon <laughs> Zombie. <laughs> that is wildly news to me. But yeah, so Ken Forey's his brother. And Ken Forey's a pimp of exclusively elderly prostitutes. <laughs> and so the, the three take refuge with him at a certain point, but he gets shaken down by William Forsythe. And now we can get into that fantastic scene because that is relevant. Ken Forey and, uh, oh no, I'm very bad. I've forgotten this actor's name. The, the guy from The Hills Have Eyes, the original one, uh, oh, the Wes Craven. Uh, it's like John Bar- Michael Berryman or something like yeah. that. Yeah, something like that. The, like, mildly deformed, real tall-looking right, guy. He has no sweat glands. Which is buck wild. I'm jealous, because I'm the sweatiest <laughs> <Yeah>. man. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they go to buy a couple of live chickens off the side of the road, because Sid Haig apparently makes the best fried chicken. <laughs> when, they're, when they're going to buy these chickens, the guy who's selling them to him is like, he's like, now wait a minute. Are y'all planning to fuck these chickens? <laughs> Which just descends into absolute madness where Ken Forey's like, you think we're planning to fuck these chickens? Or do you fuck chickens? He's like, well, I've thought about fucking chickens. <laughs> it's his delivery. Like, he's being so earnest about it. And he looks at the cage like, well, I thought about it. <laughs> oh, my God. And it's like... 
if the film critic scene felt unnecessary, at least that tried to add on to the plot. This is just absolute, like, segue off a But clip. it's just... so fucking perfect. It's my absolute favorite scene in this movie. Yeah, it hits... 100%. It hits at a moment where things are starting to um, starting to settle a little more because they've gotten to Ken Forey's, like, whorehouse. We're, we're waiting for William Forsythe to get there, so uh, that, that surprise just of... Uh, that whole well, yeah, and was... like it goes so over the top with it. He talks about like cutting off their heads. Oh and my god! Yeah, them he, he cut off just the head and he stick wildly. your dick in the neck hole. Yeah, and then it goes squaw. <laughs> god, yeah, that was an insane. It, it's so macabre and like over the top and sleazy, which works so well for this movie. That's something Rob Zombie's real good at. He's really, he's real good at being sleazy as shit. Yeah. Well, and on that topic of sleazy, we didn't mention it with House of a Thousand Corpses, but I, I, I guess Rob Zombie must put in the contract for Sherry Moon Zombie, like you have to show your ass. For at least like three minutes in a movie, like three minutes of screen time, like that ass has its own makeup artist (laughs) at this point. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like after watching these three movies that we're talking about, I believe that I've seen Rob Zombie's entire filmography aside from El Super Bisto. And uh, he also did another 31. All about clowns. Oh, oh yeah. Well, Clown no, I didn't, I didn't see that. But yeah. up through Lords of Salem, uh, excluding El Super Bisto, and every single one of those movies except for Halloween 2 prominently shows Sherry Moon Zombie's ass. Yeah, it's almost a motif. <laughs> at a like, it point. really feels like a motif. Like, oh, yeah, you're my wife. Well, they would be great in this scene if you whipped your ass out which i which I, feels really sleazy and gross i really yeah. do because the only way that it's okay is if sherry moon zombie is not like adamant about showing her own ass like well, if she is a crazy person on set saying everyone needs to see this well i feel like fine. she's i feel like she's definitely a crazy person but <laughs> yeah, hopefully a crazy one that's okay with flaunting I mean, her ass on screen i would say she's probably fine with it but that being said, there's no way that it's her idea. It's 100% Rob Zombie yeah, being like, just like, ooh, yeah, baby, you got a great ass. You got a great ass. I'll slam that shit in the back yeah, of my right. Dragula. You, guys- you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, let's get that shit on film. It's like, seriously, House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, Halloween 1, Lords of Salem, like, all prominently feature Sherry Moon Zombie's I'm, ass. I'm pre- Bare like, ass. I saw a Super Beasto back when I was like 13, 14 or something, and I'm pretty sure that there is Sherry Moon ass. Or at it's very animated. Least, Did the, well, it like yeah, cartoon well, Sherry cartoon, Moon yeah, ass? Oh. Yeah, cartoon. No, it's, it's her cartoon character, but with her real ass superimposed on there. <laughs> it was in the contract. So, yeah, uh, note to everybody is that Rob Zombie loves Sherry yes. Moon Zombie's ass. Professional sleaze ball. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of sleaze, holy shit, that hotel scene. Uh, we watched oh the director's cut, granted, yeah. so there was two extra minutes in Right, it. well, we mentioned that they run into a singing group, which is like their first victims in the movie. Uh, husband and wife, 
Uh, this other and woman. another husband and wife. Well, no, the that because it's like it's it's some woman and Brian Posehn. I don't think that they're. I don't think they were married. No, it's, it's no, it's it, he was it, a groupies, Brian Posehn. But the, he was well, yeah, the Brian, fifth Brian, one. Brian oh, you're right. Brian you're right. There was, a, there was the another dude. Yeah, with the, the, with the mustache. The band. The band is two husband wife couples. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And um, immediate, like they shoot Brian Posehn almost immediately when. Uh, when they show up, which is like that sort of a shame. Get get one of the 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 bigger names out of there. I mean, he makes a joke about smoking a lot of pot, so you yep. know a four twenty blaze. Yeah, which also it's like he really wasn't putting in any effort in his scenes before when he talked. So I, he was probably happy to be gone. But it's just them tormenting these people uh, for a good uh, beginning part of the film, and it really veers into just uncomfortable and almost it inappropriate. Goes, it goes way. Way, way, way too long. Bill like, Mo- yes, and it never, it never descends into legitimate rape, but it is extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, Rob Zombie saved that for for the Halloween remake, <laughs> he right? Held with his guns for that, with Bill Mosley making one of the women strip and then like shoving a gun down the front of her underwear yeah, which- and making her make out with him and shit. And apparently two whole minutes of that was cut out for the theatrical release, but we of course watched yes, the director's we got, cut. We got all the, the wonderful yeah, and it's just, just like we were so we were sleazy. We were all like, This is going on way yeah. too long. Well, the <laughs> thing is, uh I feel like without that scene being so long, it would be a little easier to sympathize with the family. Yeah, well, I mean, even so, I guess if you're considering House of Thousand Corpses, like, it's hard to sympathize with these people in general, but you're absolutely right. Like, this scene makes it... It's ex- so gratuitous. It's like, by, and- by the end, where they're trying to, like, make you feel sorry for the Fireflies, and this scene happened in the same fucking movie, <laughs> and you're like, why do I feel sorry for these absolute monsters? Yeah. I And you just don't. Like, that's a problem. There's no way you can feel sorry for these people. That scene goes on way too long. And the part where you're really supposed to, and can you hear my air quotes, <laughs> feel sorry for them is once Ken Forey betrays them to William Forsyth and they get captured and then he's got this long scene where he's like torturing them in the basement of their house by stapling crime scene photos to their chests. Yeah, which I was hoping by the end of that scene they would all just be covered up in pictures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was hoping so too, but he was just stapling the, the, the photos on top of one another <laughs> while he gets progressively drunker. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's he's getting sloshy. Shit face. And then the he dumps gasoline all over them and the house and uh, sets the house on fire, but frees Sherry Moon Zombie so he can hunt her down. Yes, and, he and also- it's like where that's that weird point where like she becomes like the victim and she's like running and screaming yeah, while William rabbit. while William Forsyth is chasing her down be like where are you going baby girl <laughs> and considering the shit that she did earlier in the movie it's like you just have no sympathy for her whatsoever the way i look at it i i don't see it as trying to build sympathy it's just 
uh, to see how crazy the sheriff has gotten. And yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it on that end because well, I, sure, uh, sure. I like seeing just how outrageous because he like he starts nailing like Bill Mosley's hands to the chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just, like he he shoots Sherry Moon Zombie in the leg. And right when he's about to kill her, uh, Tiny shows up. Yes, which uh, for I, I certainly didn't remember that he was even going to be a part of this movie. Well, because. I mean, he wouldn't have been if they if he hadn't been the first shot of the movie. Yes, right. Why, as the cops are showing up, he's dragging uh, a naked and brutalized woman through the forest, dead woman through the forest. Well, I I did not think they would use a tiny ex machina on us for this movie. (laughs) (laughs) That he would show up and save the day. (laughs) Tiny ex machina. Yeah, tiny ex machina. No, he really does, though. Like, right when William Forsyth is about to kill Sherry Moon, Tiny shows up and breaks William Forsyth's neck and then goes into the house and frees Bill Mosley and said, hey, yeah, which who they, somehow are not on fire, yeah. even though they show William Forsyth dumping gasoline on them physically and the rest of the house is on fire, yeah, but they're they still okay. All burned. <laughs> yeah. And then as they're leaving, they tell Tiny to wait here, we'll come back for you. And then inexplicably... In slow motion, he walks into the burning house, and then the house explodes. <laughs> it straight up looked like he was like a bomb. Like he walked like, in. She was like he walked in. Second, he got in there. It blew up right where he was. Like they said, they were coming back. From, why did he walk into the burning house? The ending is something that I have a pretty big problem with. It's it's a problem. It's a problem. It first it is all done to the song Free Bird. Freebird. Jesus Christ. Well, like, the whole part of Freebird leading up to the breakdown before they inexplicably cut the music, where it's like you feel like they're purposely building up to that. You're absolutely right. A very long scene set to Freebird of them driving down the highway in a convertible in slow motion. Sid Haig is driving? Or is it Bill Mosley? Bill Mosley. Bill Mosley's yeah. driving, and Sid Haig, who got gut shot earlier that they sort of just, like, forget about. Yeah. Uh, they never address that again. And Sherry Moon Zombie are sleeping in the back seat, and they keep intercutting it with, like, this home movie style footage yeah. well, it's of like them like really stretching out the time on this well that's the just... thing Freebird's an okay song but like the build up to Freebird well, is is like so five minutes before the break so... Freebird is a very very long song I don't think we have to explain that to anybody <laughs> yeah but like they pad the hell out of but they keep, the opening and there. they keep showing this home video footage of like the three of them like frolicking in a field which i feel was like like, it's like the house of a thousand corpses doodles but not done as well but they're like because they're they're only there you know and they're like smiling and laughing and putting their arms around each other and posing and it's like legitimately quite sweet Except for the fact (laughs) that these people are psycho killers. And it's like, 
Why are you trying to make me feel sorry for these folks? They have killed literally hundreds of people <laughs> right, in well, horrible I, ways. And the way I'm, I, I guess I, I took that as leaning more towards Rob Zombie's like over sensationalized like take on just like these murderers. Like it just that that to me felt like it played into the whole like goofy. Uh, side of it all like that these murderers and all the awful intense things that they've done we're still taking it with a light-hearted tone that's that's pretty apparent throughout the whole movie yeah i guess if rob zombie himself says that it doesn't uh it's not meant to be sympathetic which he does a- which is absolute <laughs> horseshit i i could see where maybe he didn't realize just like how his how lighthearted he may have taken these characters, it translates near the end. I'm calling a hard audible on that one. Like, this is so, <laughs> so ham-fisted. There is no fucking way I that he didn't realize montage. what this he's is, doing. This is basically propaganda right here. There is, <laughs> no, yeah. there, there is no way that he did not well, realize that, he, that these characters are trying to come off as sympathetic. I feel like he was trying not. to make the character seem super super cool by that car chase too and like in a way that's trying to make the the audience sympathize with them it doesn't work is the problem well see the thing is at this point his influences come out super hard on his sleeve he's very open about the devil's rejects being influenced by shit like bonnie and clyde and badlands and badlands uh, and shit like that just (laughs) where there's where there's these bad crazy people who you're supposed to feel bad for and then they end up getting fucked by the by the cops because they end up getting caught on their on their killing sprees i get a real badlands vibe from most of that just like yeah they did awful things but they're human <laughs> well see that's the thing that's the enormous difference between terrence malick and, <laughs> and, and rob zombie <laughs> is that in badlands despite the awful shit that they do martin sheen and sissy spacek feel like real people whereas the devil's rejects feel like fucking psycho killers you <laughs> You know, like, I I get the influence, like, cool for him, he likes those good 70s movies. Or at the very least, he knows that they're good, and so he wanted to try and Right, (laughs) but he does a terrible job of emulating. Oh yeah, no, I'll I'll say that it's it's executed very poorly. It it ends by them running into a police roadblock, Bill Mosley wakes up Sherry Moon and uh, Sid Haig and hands them guns, and it ends by them. For the police, they're they're just letting them do that. Well, they give Sid Haig a shotgun, and they're like a good hundred yards off. So I mean, like, good luck with that, buddy. Yeah. And it just ends with them in slow mo, uh, uh, low frame rate slow mo. Right, which uh, like Rob Zombie did slow mo in a House of a Thousand Corpses, and it looked fine. But this, like, this is a of lot this, of this is a lot of like seventy slow mo, like low frame rate slow mo. Yeah, a yeah. lot of this like veers dangerously into a slideshow right almost just becomes a frame by frame and it ends with them just driving full speed into the police roadblock as as freebird is blaring firing their guns and visibly taking multiple fatal gunshot wounds which 
I, I think the most inexcusable moment of that whole thing is that they already played the beginning and, and everything in Free Bird, right, until the solo starts breaking. But well, they right. don't seems- even follow through. They don't play the whole song. Exactly. It seems like the way they're building the scene is that they're building up to the breakdown slash solo. And then it and ends then they halfway. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, they don't even end it when it cuts to the credits. They end the song as they're yeah. driving the police yeah. roadblock. <laughs> like, what was the point it's of bizarre. playing all of the Freebird up till that? We're going to go into uh, a slight tangent and talk about the upcoming third film. But before we do, let's go ahead and rate this. We'll get this out there. Yeah, I, I think uh, this movie improves on House of a Thousand Corpses in terms of tone. I think the sleazy, grimy 70s exploitation aesthetic works a little bit better than the Corman aesthetic, especially for me. This movie still has some glaring problems, but it's very entertaining, very campy, very fun. I will give it a three and a half. Uh, Try to find the theatrical version if you can. Yeah, so I would say uh, we watched these films back-to-back on the same day, and it was my first time seeing both of them. I would say that, uniquely for me, I enjoyed The Devil's Rejects about as much as I enjoyed House of a Thousand Corpses, but for different reasons. I still have a lot of problems with The Devil's Rejects. It drags at certain points, and I have a huge problem with them trying to make the Fireflies sympathetic, which just does not work for me on any fucking level. But the the more serious, grindhousey tone, the 70s aesthetic... Uh, it feels like a much more mature movie. I think Sid Haig and Bill Mosley and Sherry Moon Zombie all together make a really good team. They play off each other well, and I like their characters, and I buy their characters. I'm not sympathetic towards their characters, but from a horror film standpoint, I think they make great antagonists. I think William Forsyth as the crazy sheriff is really good. There's a lot of good shit about this movie, but I don't enjoy it any more or less than House of a Thousand Corpses, so I'm also going to give it a three and a half out of five. Equally good, but for different reasons, different types of people, different aesthetic. For me, House of a Thousand Corpses is good only on a funny level. Um, I don't think it really tries to do anything too scary, but it's certainly more, it's closer to a comedy than, than it is to a horror movie, where Devil's Rejects, finds a, uh, a a better middle ground between those two things. And maybe not scary, but certainly more intense, which I think shows that, I mean, all those movies that Rob Zombie watched, uh, it seemed to leave a good influence on how he delivered this sequel of sorts. And so definitely a step up from House of a Thousand Corpses, sillier things aside, and uh, that ending, which just really drags... Again, showing that uh, he doesn't know how to stick the landing. Uh, So I'm going to give it a three out of five. So that will give The Devil's Rejects an average rating of 3.3 pods out of five. Similar to House of a Thousand Corpses, but uh, likable for different reasons. Yeah. Before we get into our last film of the day... Uh, We're going to take a second to talk 
a little bit more about the impending sequel to The Devil's Rejects. Number three. Three from hell. Um, Yeah, so Devil's Rejects came out in 05. Yep. Uh, So this movie just finished uh, shooting uh, in the past, like, what, month? Yeah, I believe uh, just a couple days ago, but it was only announced, I think, like a month or two ago. Yeah. I guess Rob Zombie's um, been really keeping it under wraps. We definitely talked about this in a new segment of one of our previous episodes. Yeah, but it's still pretty recent news. Yeah, no, it is. And I I think it's important to talk about for a couple of minutes just because, like, frankly, I'm confused about the continuation of this considering that I think it's fairly obvious that they all died at the end of devil's region yeah well hey, they're act- absolutely gonna come we, back from hell but we didn't see three from um, hell we didn't see a final shot of bill mosley or sid haig going oh i'm dead and then dying so, also sid right, haig but they, were is, taking, they were taking gunshot wounds to like maybe, the neck sid haig is gonna be vital. old as fuck in the sid, haig, sid haig is like in his early 80s yeah i, I, I is, admire the fuck out of this guy to keep on acting even though he's this old but Man, I just can't imagine that he'd be believable doing anything in this film. (laughs) I guess I would say that I'm optimistically curious about this movie, considering how I feel about the previous two. I just think that there's no fucking way that they can make this movie believable unless they delve into campiness. Like, it's called Three from Hell, so I'm fucking damn well expecting these three folks to come back from literal hell. Well, it's interesting. House of a Thousand Corpses feels very much like a homage to 60 exploitation, whereas uh, Devil's Rejects feels like a love child of the 70s. So I wonder if Three from Hell is almost going to pull influences from the 80s. God, I hope so. If Um, if he can continue that sort of through line, that would be fantastic. I I just hope that he doesn't take it too seriously because, and we'll get into this with our next review of The Lords of Salem in a few minutes, but in recent years, Rob Zombie has started taking himself uh, far too seriously. Right, well, it, And uh, I think that started with Halloween, and if this film, if Three from Hell ends up being, like, real serious, I think it's going to be real bad. I think that that's that's one reason why I um uh I don't feel as optimistic about it is because after Devil's Rejects it was mildly well received um just I think a lot of people saying it's definitely better than House of a Thousand Corpses but at a certain point he he was able to get attached to Halloween as we mentioned the remake and while we all thought it was pretty bad it made a decent amount of money in the box office, and it was sort of Rob Zombie's. It was, it was. I'm sure a big break for him. It's like I'm, I'm making Hollywood movies now, and then he did Halloween too, and that was also garbage, but made worse, a good amount of money. Worse garbage. Yeah, I think that that's definitely been a negative on the trajectory that could have been the rest of his career. Because Thousand Corpses, funny. Devil's Rejects, funny horror, and Halloween. Bad horror. And not funny. Not funny. And he's lost, it seems, that charm. Yeah, his. it and seems like his sense of humor is virtually gone. I, and, like, the things in these movies that are 
I guess meant to be funny. Just uh, that's it's not funny. So like I'm hoping that with three from hell, he's going to recapture some of that sense of fun that he obviously has had before based on these two movies that we just talked about. But I'm very concerned that it's just going to be dour, serious uh, bullshit. I just hope uh, Sid Haig can perform as well as he did in those other yeah, movies. Yeah, that's... Hey, yeah. As, as far as I'm concerned, if Sid Haig is still willing to get in front of the camera, he's going to give us that good shit. <laughs> I think so. I have faith in Sid Haig. If we can get a good, over-the-top Sid Haig performance out of Three From Hell then even if the rest of it is absolute trash, I'll consider that a win, honestly. (laughs) Sid Haig is old. We're not going to get many more performances out of Sid Haig, so if he can still fucking get in front of the camera and put that shit on, more fucking power to him. Oh, yes. So, with Rob Zombie's movie career, we had Halloween 1, Halloween 2, and then I believe he didn't do anything else until our next movie, which came out in 2013, right? Uh, 2011, I believe, 2011? Yeah, yeah, or 2011, 2012. This uh, is Lords of Salem. Uh, Sherry Moon Zombie has moved up from... Supporting character to lead character. Lead ass. Yeah, lead ass. Lead yes. ass. Her ass is featured very prominently in this movie. Yeah, we were... In one of the we first shots yes. we see Because we were wondering her. how long it would take and if it would even happen to see her ass. And yeah, yeah, it does I not even said I was minutes. willing to put money on it and it's like five minutes into the movie. One of the, <laughs> one of the opening shots is her fucking ass. Uh, yeah, this is a 2012 film. Man, I was I was optimistic going into this based off of my experiences from House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. I regret my optimism. <laughs> well, the the story. I hate this movie. Oh, <laughs> I, I I definitely think it's the which is crazy that I'm saying this, but I think it's the weakest out of uh, the three movies that we watched, and a lot of that is because I think it's I think it's I think it's the worst Rob Zombie movie I've seen. I think it's worse than Halloween Two. Really? Oh, Whoa! Wow. I, think Ooh. I think it's been I, a long. I, it's been, I it's haven't been seen a, Halloween Two. So it's I been a long like time since that, I've. But. It's been a long time since I've seen Halloween Two. But I think I hated Damn, this one more than I Halloween mean, Two. I mean, I like I won't agree with that because I don't even think it's worse than Halloween. So like, oh I, shit, I yeah. absolutely think this is worse than Halloween. I I, I the biggest problem with this movie is that it leans again just to to being straight horror movie and i don't think rob zombie is as scary as he thinks well, there is I think there is nothing campy or fun about this movie. there are a couple of interesting concepts within yes. it but they're just executed so poorly that it just becomes a jumbled poorly executed mess as well, a see, whole here's the thing rob zombie I cannot write. No. Dialogue especially. uh, Dialogue especially. I think Rob Zombie has good ideas. I think he's a decent director, but this motherfucker cannot write. That's something that we didn't really touch much on in House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, but the writing is not good in either of those movies, but there's other things that carry them, whereas this movie, the writing is 
a horse jizz and there's nothing that carries it aside from the cinematography and the production design. That's the only thing I would say that Lords of Salem has going for it is it is visually beautiful. Well, the premise of the movie is uh, Sherry premise, Moon Zombie. Premise is a generous word. Oh God, there's there's a plot throughout there's, this movie. I don't think it's, as, it's just right. poorly executed. Right. I don't think it's as I would, loose as you might be I saying. Would, but I would barely call it a plot. Well, because but anyway, you, when you first said this, you said that it was it was just basically like a Rosemary's Baby ripoff, and it's not really that. It's I mean, no, because it's going for uh, like what Cherry Moon Zombie's character is. It's a, is it's much a cult more of scary old people impregnating a woman with the devil's but the, child. The, the impregnation is not important to the movie at all. It's more about Cherry Moon Zombie is a descendant of this priest back during the Salem witch trials who uh, burned a whole bunch of witches and one of them cursed him so that one of his descendants would end up. Uh, becoming a part of the the witch would cult. would bear the spawn of Satan, and I think more like take up you know sort of like a like a leadership type of role because you see at the end I mean there's the imagery of her that that shows that she's well she as absorb this as like the satanic virgin yeah. Mary yeah well I, I don't think she really takes a leadership role she bears the spawn of the devil but I, I again like the baby part is like such a minute part of the film and it puts much more focus onto what Cherry Moon Zombie's character is going through. She's a recovering um, heroin addict or something like a, a crack addict. Crack addict. Yeah. Cuz she she smokes crack oh, yes, midway right. through the movie. And so uh, when these these strange things start to happen to her, like she starts seeing these visions and um, ghosts, like, walking through her house. A lot of people around her sort of first take it as, like, oh, she's she's using again. She's she's back on that stuff. Well, she works at this really cornball radio yep, show. Right, with Ken Forey is another one of the hosts there, which, showing up again. If you can, if you can believe it, this radio show is, like, way worse than our podcast. Like, <laughs> holy shit. Well, yeah, if funny, you can imagine it's that. It's funny, they, uh, they are the least energetic radio host I think I've ever heard. And they also have no cohesive theme because when they start, it seems like they're maybe like a metal radio station. Right, yeah, they show like because, a black metal Because the first, yeah, the first thing they're doing is like they show a black metal music video and they're like interviewing this guy who's in a black metal band. But then immediately after that, they're playing like soul funk. And then after that, they're playing Rush. There's just no cohesion to it whatsoever. Kind of reminded me of WFMU uh, in the East Coast. They kind of have a free-for-all radio thing that people just play anything on. But the, the weird thing is the radio hosts were like a weird combination of like NPR meets like shitty meets soundboard. Yeah. <laughs> oh with, my God, the complete soundboard. With the soundboard. Constant. Like, I don't think radio shows uh, like in real life use a soundboard that much because it's like well, yeah, it's the kind of thing. line. Exactly. There's a, there's a fucking sound effect going no, on. No, you're, you're spot on the money. Every single line they say is accompanied by something from a sound on board and it's fucking infuriating. I mean, I thought it was kind of funny. Well, I, I thought, thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. Was I thought, well, funny. no, no, no. I thought it was kind of funny at first and then they kept doing it and I'm like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. Uh, I didn't mind all that because I took these characters as 
as as sort of obnoxious. Like I don't think yeah. that they're yeah that they, they weren't meant to be wholly like sympathetic. Ken or... Foray seems so tired throughout that. Yeah, whole no, radio he interview. he does he does okay. basically nothing. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's mostly Sherry Moon Zombie and the other guy who's basically Dave Grohl. Yeah, well. <laughs> Yeah, it feels like he's kind of sleepwalking through this movie, just totally phoning it in. Right, like every every dude, everybody like... in this movie feels like they're phoning it in. Also, like Sherry Moon Zombie has white people dreadlocks, and it's a bad. <laughs> yeah, fucking that's look. one thing we should emphasize. Right, that's probably not the even, most distracting thing. It's in the not movie. even anything to do with a cultural appropriation because we know it's just because white people don't want to wash their hair. Well, uh, that, but it it looks awful on her. Really, so. really, what it feels like. For for me is that like she's been married to Rob Zombie for a long time and Rob Zombie has had dreadlocks <laughs> since like the late 80s yep. and at a certain point in the late aughts Sherry Moon Zombie was like oh, I'm gonna go get dreadlocks to match you Rob and it's a bad fucking look it's fucking terrible she <laughs> looks I, I believe that she's a recovering crack addict with that yeah, look she so. looks she looks fucking terrible it does complete the junkie look in fairness but I can't take her character seriously at all. I think there's much less of a plot in this movie than you guys do. It's basically Sherry Moon Zombie. Like you said, Sherry Moon Zombie is the descendant of this guy who gets cursed by some witches back in the Salem Witch Trials days. And she gets sent some very repetitive music on a vinyl. And then some witches make her bang the devil if the devil was a midget. With, and like, flaccid tentacle penises. Jesus Two Christ. of them. Jesus that she Christ. Just like that she just, double literally, fists. that she just shakes around, and then she's pregnant, and then it's, oh, man. It's like a hentai. All that stuff happens, like, during the last, like, 30 minutes, so that's not even what the film is really built on. But there's, but there's barely anything building up to that other than... Sherry Moon Zombie's slow descent into lack, not even madness, lacklusterness. Well, you had the three anti-neighbors. Yeah, right, well, who, that's who which feels when like the, when the record is played over the um over over the radio station, we, we see all of them and they sort of just stop as a, it's also going on. like this tune that keeps being played is something that was like written down in the diary of Sherry Moon Zombie's ancestor, but it is like three notes played in like a five or six note sequence it's the most uncreative obnoxious repetitive shit it's something that rob zombie came up with in the studio and it's like that yeah, would that be he really was, scary <laughs> he was sitting at his fucking keyboard and he played three notes in a minor key and was like oh yeah i'm into that yeah i, I make music <laughs> yeah i make music yeah, i make music i'm good at this <laughs> remember dragula <laughs> yeah I remember dragula it's been like a, over a decade Remember you Dracula? you you love Dracula, and I'm like, yes, Rob Zombie, I do love Dracula. <laughs> but there's for as long as this movie is, there's so little to it. Like the entire last third is just like surrealist nonsense, and I love. Well, like my my biggest thing is like what. What about this is so inexcusable when the last two movies we've seen have really just been all, like, absurd with, lo like, low-substance characters at all? Because this— I can answer I, I can answer that question. Because I think that this movie is Rob Zombie 
trying to genuinely make a scary movie. And I can appreciate a lot of the things that he's trying to do now. It's not it's not meant to just be schlock. It, it's not meant to like make that's, you laugh. It does that's feel more problem. like a sincere horror movie. But that's the problem, the problem is problem. he can't execute it. He's, he can't. No, he but doesn't I, have that skill. What what makes House of a Thousand Corpses and the Devil's Rejects work is the schlock. I mean, Devil's Rejects to a much lesser extent that's much more serious and he does it well but the lords of salem is totally 100 percent devoid of fun there's nothing fun about it and rob zombie even in his music career like his thing is over the top theatrical satanic nonsense well i think that's the shit that he's good at and this has the satanic nonsense without the fun well i think that a lot of that translated over into the visual style of the movie it's the production design and the visuals fucking fantastic i will absolutely give this movie that it looks incredible and the last 30 minutes which is basically totally devoid of story looks great there's some really cool set pieces the art design is really excellent like they put work into it it's visually stunning but there's nothing behind it, and so it just comes across as totally hollow and uninteresting. Like, it's nice to look at, but what else is there? Well, I mean, you do have the through line of the Salem expert who finds the stuff and goes to investigate, and he goes to investigate the ants and, like... Totally unnecessary. Oh, yeah, well, and then... The, the conversation that he has with, uh, like, the head witch girl, and she's like, you, I'm not going to let you near her because you're going to put bad idea. You, you want to get into her you're gonna head. You're going to fuck her yeah, mind. You're, gonna, you're, you're like, you want to take your... Yeah, you're going to put and, your you're gonna put your dick in her brain. Right, yeah. What turns like, into an actual a, fucking quote from the movie is like, you're not going to put your dick in her brain. Just, you're not going to fuck her mind. And it's just like, what is this? It's like, so with... Moments like that, and also with their whole radio show thing, I think Rob Zombie, like, there's still that sense, like, he he can still do goofiness, but his intentions behind this were to try and make a more atmospheric film. Uh, I sort of give him credit for trying. I don't think that this is a good movie. I'm not I'm not trying to defend this very much, but I think that there's a lot more going for it than you might have gotten out of it. Yeah, I mean, I really got nothing out of this movie. I feel like that it does not work on any standpoint aside from visual visual it it hits the nail on the head but from an acting and story and dialogue standpoint it just flies so far past my fucking face the closest it comes to that campy schlock that i was looking for is that scene where she's like you're not gonna put your dick in her brain and, and we can't forget uh the the scene after she encounters the the midget slob thing when she wakes oh, up because obviously Christ. it's like a a, dr- a dream sort of thing um, and she goes back to bed and then it just sort of like walks into the frame yeah. from the side and I mean I, 
No, I like that was we all. The funniest we all, part. No, that, 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 that shit was that shit was hilarious. It doesn't justify like no, any of that other it's, stuff. It's but that stupid. Was, it yeah. doesn't feel like it fits. No, her, it was, her honestly, from a design standpoint, her bedroom infuriated me. And maybe this is a little minor thing, but like both of her end tables were like one hundred percent lights. Yeah, and they were just yeah. glowing. And behind her bed, she had this massive mural of like the the like the Georges Millet. Uh, uh, the, moon. To the moon, the moon with the, the, moon, with the, the, with the yeah, the trip to the moon, <laughs> with like the, the, the picture the of eye. the moon with the rocket stuck in its eye, and that to me just felt so much like Rob Zombie saying, "Like I've studied film history, and look at this, I like movies," <laughs> and it's just like, but there's no point for it otherwise. Maybe that's just a minor thing, but that was really frustrating for you're me. So upset. Well, and also, um, I think you're upset with their their representation of black metal. In, uh, in the movie, because <laughs> the first interviews that they have with a black metal guy, he's just very, like, stereotypical, like, we hate the church and we love Satan. I was upset with their representation of black metal during that scene. And even when you mentioned it later in the movie, I even admit that I had forgotten about it at that point. So I'm not even yeah, going to... Well, it's so minor that, like, it's not mentioned again. No, it's Unfortunately. Too, it, I mean, it's it just... All, all I'll say is it goes to show is that Rob Zombie has zero understanding of black metal. But it's such a minor part of the movie that it's totally insignificant. Yeah. There's just nothing to this fucking movie for me. Like, as it goes along, as Sherry Moon Zombie gets sucked more and more into this witch coven, she just becomes less charismatic and seems like she's phoning it in more and basically uh, both literally and figuratively sleepwalks through the entire last third of the fucking movie and i mean the visuals look great and there's that stupid part where she's riding a goat in slow motion uh which looks very pretty but it makes no sense and then at the end she gives birth to a child full of tentacles yeah well one of the most infuriating sections for me is when her radio co-host slash dave girl yeah dave girl looking guy he comes to see how she's doing and she like hugs him and then one of the neighbors are like she doesn't want to talk to you go back in your room and he kind of gets led out by one of the women and then the next shot you see is her walking with him through an alley to the backstage door of a theater well that's where the show is happening the lord's yeah. of salem show so i think they wanted her to go over there and all that, which it also just, that's it that's felt funny like that a they, weird sequence. Well, that they had that um that that free show that that that's how they're gonna get people. And uh, I mean, there's like nine people in the yeah, audience. Shows nine how whole... many people watch uh, listen to their radio show? Yeah, right. <laughs> and also, be... it's like I would have been pissed if I because they start off the whole like. I mean, if they're supposed to be a band, they start with this whole, like, uh, and they repeat it earlier in the movie. It's just, like, a, I guess some, like, chant or, like, declaration to Satan. And uh, I would have been pissed at that audience. I would have been like, this was free, but I want my refund. <laughs> I'm going to be 100% candid. I fell asleep three times during this movie. And maybe that's why you have trouble following the plot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, but if I fell asleep three times during this movie, what does it say about the effectiveness of this film, though? Well, I think uh, one big problem, we were were probably hoping for something closer to House of a Thousand Corpses. I was hoping for something fun, and it just was not fun. That's, like, the problem right there. Like, this, I, I, and I got this idea really from the get-go. Like, this was going to be more... Uh, closer to a horror movie, which it's like not a good horror movie. The the fact that there wasn't a lot of comedy in it didn't bother me because I sort of yeah, it didn't it really bother me that much. The problem with it is Rob Zamb- Zombie can't execute a good horror movie, Rob so it, Rob Zambi, Rob Zamboni, Robert Zombert. <laughs> Rob Zombie just can't execute a good horror movie, so it just becomes super sloppy, unfocused, and messy. Like, well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like there's there's an obvious downshift in the quality of his fucking movies from Halloween onward, where it's very obvious that he just takes himself so fucking seriously. But so I I feel like this had. Uh, like so much more going for it than the Halloween remake oh, did. Oh, I cannot. With the Halloween remake, it's like it leaves you with a sour taste in your mouth because it's just so like bleak. But with this one, it's it's going for that horror horror tone. But with those moments, like with with them in the radio show, and I think some of the visuals, I think it it's trying to do something that I can. Give it credit for much more than I can do with fucking up the Halloween. I franchise, mean, I, so. I mean, I guess I can give it credit from some of its for some of its larger ideas. But I mean, it just, feels uh, like I'm not trying to give it a very high bar. I just thought it was better than the Halloween <sighs> remake. Well, no, no, no. I mean, that's that's what that's the shit I'm on too. Like it as much as I disliked the Halloween remake, I think that at least it felt somewhat cohesive like it was trying to do something even if it didn't particularly land well, that's in what thing. it's trying uh, to do because it's an adaptation it has that through line right, built in like, where it, it can't be as unfocused but as the lords of, but the lords of salem did not feel like it had that it felt like that it had some ideas that it was trying to hint at, but did such a bad job of like leading you into those ideas. It felt so unfocused and so incohesive that it, it like it just does nothing for me. Like by the end of it, like when the credits rolled, I was just like, okay, like I don't fucking yeah, which, care. Which I just again, I don't uh, fucking care. It's another bad ending. There's a moment when it could have ended and it would have been bad. Yeah, Rob Zombie and then it decided, is incapable of ending It films. decided to go on longer and still be a bad ending. So, Like, it looks nice. The production design is cool, but I mean, the Halloween remake looks nice too. Like, at least I can give it... Yeah, but everything that Rob Zombie added into the Halloween remake are bad choices. At least yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, Lords no. of Salem, I, I, like, at least this is him just trying to do something on his own, like, not attached to anything else, and just to see how he can do with that. I, I mean... That's fair. It it feels like a Again, much... like I'm I'm only saying that it's better than Halloween. I'm not saying it's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. And that's what I'm saying too. I don't think it's better than Halloween, but neither of them are good movies as far as I'm concerned. Right. So should tra- we <laughs> tra- let's just trash- jump into ratings? Should we rate we're, this? we're running in circles at this point. Um for me, this movie was an unfocused mess. There's a smidgen of a, an idea here that would work well as a movie. 
but it's just so poorly executed that it just falls straight on its face. Cherry Moon Zombie is very distracting with dreadlocks, and it's not a good look. You can see the Rosemary's Baby's influences and, like, all these different influences that Rob Zombie has in the movie. The thing is, he takes visuals from them without giving them any purpose. And that's my biggest problem with it. I would honestly probably have to give it a 2 out of 5. Um, there are a couple of redeeming things to it. Mostly the concept of the record uh, being used as kind of a conduit was kind of a cool idea. Some of the visuals were interesting. But besides that, not really worth checking out 2 out of 5 for me. Yeah, I would say this feels like a visual collection of notes that somebody scribbled down in uh, in a notebook. It does not feel like a full cohesive film. Visually, it's excellent. Whoever they got on their production design, the art design, it looks fantastic. It's very well shot. But there's no real story to be told as far as I'm concerned. There's lots of moments where Rob Zombie is blatantly trying to be scary and it comes across as desperate. Like the couple of intended jump scares in the movie are not even jump scares. They're so predictable. It just is such a fucking mess. And, I mean, I'll give it a 2 out of 5 for the visuals, but... Uh, from... I'm actually... I thought you were going to go much harder than that. No, 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 no. The way no, you no. were talking like, about it. Like, <laughs> like, like, visually and art design-wise, like, it's it's a feast for the eyes. Like, it looks good. It's, like, there's some very cool visual ideas, but from a storytelling standpoint and from an acting standpoint, it just feels so stiff and uh, not thought out and just incomplete, and it, it's just a mess. And I, I don't like this movie, but I'll give it a 2 out of 5 for its visuals. Uh, it's interesting. I think we all feel a little differently about this movie. I, I, I feel like I enjoyed it a little more than you guys, while I, I still felt, yeah, there are a lot of really boring parts, I guess. I just felt like with these... With the past two movies that we watched, I mean, all of these movies are, like, really dumb. And so, I guess I didn't mind watching a dumb horror movie rather than, like, a dumb horror comedy. I mean, I'm going to give it a 2 out of 5 as well. It's certainly not better than House of a Thousand Corpses, which is, I mean, a sad thing to say. Uh, I, I think that it could satisfy a lot of people if uh, if they're, they're yeah. looking for something to check I mean, out. If they want to see... I guess if you liked Halloween... I you might think like you'll probably yeah. like Lords of Salem. <laughs> I think I can agree with that. All I'll say to close that out is that I have no problem with dumb as long as the dumb is fun. If the dumb is over serious, I I just can't deal with it. Like if you're gonna go dumb, go fun. That's what House of a Thousand Corpses has going for it. Is it's extremely dumb, but it's fun at least. And Devil's Rejects has a lot of those points too. Yeah, but Lords of well, Salem and the thing is. I, I even give a pass sometimes to dumb movies if they're tight and focused. If they have, if they're straight to the point, no nonsense. I can give it the time of day to be a little dumb. Yeah, okay, the problem is this is just movie. not focused at all and dumb. So, well, that's a unanimous two out of five pods for the Lords of Salem. <laughs> We do not have a game this week on this episode because but we do have an email. We have an email. Yeah. Oh yeah. shit! What? We do. What? No. This is news way. to us. 
Oh my god, I feel like oh shit. This is a big deal. Uh, we have one email. We got uh an email from John. Uh he asks whether we think it's better to listen to our reviews before or after you watch the movie. Oh, I mean, I would say after, because I think we get into a lot of spoiler talk, so... I would say it depends on how recent the film is. If it's a newer film, then after. If it's an older film, we're well beyond the realm uh, But of... sometimes we talk about older movies that are, like, they're worth watching with a clean slate, so I think... I yeah, think maybe, it... but, I, but I, I feel like sometimes what we say is an encouragement to watch a movie that you might not have seen Well, you before. know what... Eugene says before or after. <laughs> well, Matisse says it depends. Eugene, what about you? Don't watch ben? movies. No. <laughs> there are ways of time. Just don't watch them at all. Just, just listen to our podcast. <laughs> all right, I think that's good. We'll watch the around. movies for you. Yeah, yeah we're watching yeah, movies for yeah, you. Yeah, why do you think we started this podcast? <laughs> Well, like I said, we don't have a game this week. Uh, next week, you can expect another mini pod uh, that will be a review that we recorded a couple of weeks ago for a uh, uh, French-Canadian zombie film on Netflix called Ravenous. And uh, boy, do we have some opinions on this one. I'm not going to spoil anything for you. It's a pretty short episode, but that's what you can expect next week. Uh, if you like the show, you can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate that. Help us work our way up in the charts a little bit. Uh, you can email us with any questions, comments, concerns, recommendations at podpeoplepod at gmail.com. Also, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at PodPeoplePod for both of those websites. Uh, we're lonely, and we we want your sweet and tasty words. <laughs> yeah, Eugene, how's the massage business treating you? Uh, well, since last time, I told I you know I said I was back in business, but uh, with the snow and everything, it's like uh, I. How is it snowing in fucking April? Welcome to Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, God damn God. it! Uh, it's, it's been awful weather, and so it's really been affecting my business, because I would usually, I would hand out, like, samples on the street, so I, I would just go up to behind people, like, rub them, uh, and ask them, like, are you gonna pay me to do this more? Sample rubs, and, yeah. But now, when course. I do it, like, they're they're running away, so they slip, and I'm getting sued by, like, three people now, because they're like, he was trying to kill me, and I'm like, no, I just want to touch you, and so, I I mean, all I'm gonna say is this. How like, are they gonna accuse you of trying to kill them if you weren't even holding a knife? I was Probably that well, hook I arm. Was, I, uh, yeah, I was. I did have my hook arm that day because uh, oh, people who yeah. might not remember from earlier episodes, I did eat my hand, and so that during I, Thanksgiving, know, yeah, I never we thought about this. this, but that might be why people say my hands are like really clammy uh, because it's fake. You're so giving, I didn't think you're about giving that. massages with a hook hand, so that might be the issue. Yeah, you know what? All of this makes a lot more sense <laughs> with the police and, and, and everything. I have not changed this. It's still been the hook hand. So, and your hook does have some dried blood on it. I must say, it's not a particularly appealing oh no, that's a, hook for I, strangers. I, I, I use this to open up a can of tomato sauce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love my spaghetti. So. Uh, but Fair so I w all I will say is like, give me a week, week, just to get uh, a new hand, and then I will rub you. Just don't, don't be sad. 
Oh, well, the show is produced and scored by Ben and edited by me. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Van Awesome. If you want to follow Ben, he's at Mr. Sheets. Our Twitters are nonsense if you want to get in on that shit. But thank you, as always, for listening. We love and appreciate all of the folks. Send us more emails, suggestions, questions, all of it. We will hit you back. We're desperate and lonely, and we want your love because we love you too. Two uh, last-minute video recommendations. Uh, If you watch this podcast, (laughs) uh, there is a great news story about uh, a skate park that was built in basically Rob Zombie's backyard that he's very upset about. He's very upset about it. And it's very funny. Um, Also, there is a... MTV2 commercial, I think it is, um, where Rob Zombie is coincidentally teaching Jamie Foxx how to skateboard, (laughs) and more importantly, how to ollie. He does a sick ollie, which kind of goes against the whole anti-skateboarding thing, first of all. It's one of the the most entertaining things I've ever seen. It is incredible. I haven't seen a commercial quite as good. (laughs) That's going to be the the episode thumbnail, I think. (laughs) Yeah, so until next time, uh, dig through the ditches, Burn through the witches. Fuck all the bitches. In the back of that Dragula. And get your complimentary chicken. (laughs) Bye!